So we have a letter now from a prominent Catholic theologian who is defending and backing up Archbishop Vigano's takedown of the Second Vatican Council. That theologian is Professor Enrica Maria Rodelli, again, a prominent Italian theologian, and he has now joined the Vatican II debate and has strongly endorsed Vigano's critique of the Council, its ambiguities, and the manipulations therein. Professor Rodelli is a Catholic philosopher, a theologian, and a disciple of the Swiss intellectual Romano Emirio, the author of the classic book Iota Unum, which is possibly the single greatest work on the infiltration and subversion of the Second Vatican Council ever penned. As such, he is a strong critic of the Second Vatican Council and of the post-conciliar popes and their attempts pushing doctrinal changes that were introduced at Vatican II. Uh, he has penned numerous books, including ones taking down the practice of ecumenism in the Church, which has been banned before the Council, and it includes pretty harsh critiques of the conciliar popes involved in all of those activities, frankly including the popes that some of you aren't prepared to hear criticized. Anyway, here's his letter defending Vigano and his critiques of the Council. And now, the full text of that theologian's letter defending Archbishop Vigano and his take on the Second Vatican Council. Letters from Babylon I say, it's 60 years since the infliction of the terms liberals and conservatives began being used to cheat the public. Today, that same goes on in the scrimmage about the holy stance taken by Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano, Indeed, it's time to stop with the unfair and malicious practice of applying such exclusively merely political categories to the Church, which is an exquisitely solely religious society. It's just about time to stop it, because this is only a sinful way to hide the fact that they want us to believe that the filth is gold and the gold is filth, an authentic nonsense. Whenever in the 3rd century the Arian heretics were defined as liberals while those who remained faithful to the dogma were said to be conservatives. Whenever in the 16th century the reformers were called liberals while those who were faithful to the laws of God taught by the Holy Roman Church were labeled as conservatives. Just talking. P.S. Oh, I almost forgot. Monsignor Vigano's strong shoulder shove to Roncalli Ratzinger's maxi snare. Just cut it out. It's time to stop with these miserable cunnings that turn reality upside down, making the heretics look nice and making the firm and holy saints who are faithful to God look like nefarious troglodytes. The so-called liberals are nothing but those who summarize in their perverse doctrine a jumble of the worst heresies that merged into modernism. By contrast, the so-called conservatives are simply those Christians who remain faithful to the dogma and to the true and holy pre-Montinian liturgy at the risk of falling out with the world, popes included. Even in the contemporary case of the strong and severe stance taken by Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano on the Second Vatican Council, which is actually the only rightful stance to take, he is not to be labeled as a conservative, but is rather to be considered a Christian who is faithful to the dogma, while the popes who called, led, defended, and still defend that perverse assembly are not to be deemed good and valiant liberals, but rather popes who are unfaithful to the dogma. In this specific case, precisely modernist and neo-modernist popes. The question is that these fake categories must be replaced by the true ones. Enough with the subterfuges. Leave the heresy to the heretics and the truth to the faithful. 
The only acceptable categories in the context of a doctrinal debate inside the Roman Catholic Church are heretic, for those who don't adhere to the dogma, and of the pastoral magistry intimately connected to it, as is taught by the dogmatic magistry, and the Catholic, for those who adhere to it. There are no more categories, and those used today are mere falsehood. That's not all. Stop talking about hermeneutics, too. Another trick that we have to tolerate, as if it were our duty to hang from the lips of the Frankfurt School like the good teacher's pets of Pope Ratzinger, who made of hermeneutics and historicism his polar stars. Let's take again in our hands the metaphysics, the only Catholic science, the only concrete methodology, the only rational philosophy, so that we may again and finally witness firsthand, after almost 60 years of a dark hermeneutical and historicist night, the true reality of the Church before we will land face first on it because of the contemporary horrible reality that plagues the church. It will be too late then. None of the documents, the decrees and the anathemas produced by the 20 ecumenical councils of the church has ever needed to be sifted by anybody's interpretations, since the dogma doesn't allow it, being too clear to be interpreted, no matter what Cardinal Brandmuller may affirm about it. Furthermore, it's about time to stop talking of the much more muddled, convoluted, and twisted hermeneutics mentioned by Pope Ratzinger in his utterly grievous address to the Roman Curia of the 22nd of December, 2005, where he said the hermeneutic of reform, he remarked in those reflections of his, of renewal in the continuity of the one subject, the Church. Please, somebody give as a gift to the much august author, who is more and more in danger, of such a convoluted conceptualism, and invite him to read as soon as possible The Emperor's New Clothes, a beautiful fairy tale by Anderson that could suggest to him the reasons why he should end his decades-long effort, whose insistence is rather worthy of much better goals to produce, one after the other, only soft feathery pillows whose unique utility consists in allowing him to lay his head, which is profoundly thirsty for peace, and his exhausted elbows on them, so to be able to sleep quietly in the middle of the uproar of the world. So much for the lightning bolts of Ezekiel 13.18, the holy word of God. The hermeneutics of reform and the continuity is scanning the terms one by one. First, just an interpretation equals hermeneutics. Second, of discontinuity equals reform. Third, in the orthodoxy equals continuity. It is therefore an opinion, a working hypothesis. It is nothing more than an opinion about a vague concept that pretends to be in continuity with the sound development of the dogma, while at the same time reforming it thus wishing to be at the same time its very opposite, and the total sum of everything, that is, to be something and its absolute contrary, however without letting it be noticed, without unveiling the conflict, the contradiction, the harshest war, up to their ultimate essence, between both things. Ratzinger. Oh, Ratzinger, when will you stop tangling yourself up in the piles of white, soft feathers only in order to see the blood of redemption that flows around you? And so, who knows, maybe even save yourself. The address to the Roman Curia is way too much famous. It is quoted again and again. Many hosannas are sung to it because in its simplicity. Hermeneutics of continuity, yes. Hermeneutics of rupture, no. It seems to solve all the impervious, long-standing problems generated and never solved by the Second Vatican Council. However, no one penetrates beyond the surface of those lines in which their most august author allows their perpetration of a very serious crime. A crime as serious as to cut out at the root all the power of the very famous scheme that outsmarts everybody. Continuity, yes. Rupture, no. Hermeneutically speaking, of course, that is always in a Rashomon-style way, as in a Kurosawa movie. 
in which four hermeneutes interpret the same episode, reaching four irreconcilable conclusions. Interpretation is reality. All right, but which interpretation? Why the Pope's interpretation, since he is not talking ex cathedra, should be truer than mine. That's the point. Here is where the armies fight against each other already since 60 years ago. Right. Always walking and fighting on a pile of leaves that hides the soldiery of cardinals, bishops, monsignors, and simple faithful, no matter whether they are liberals or conservatives. The great snare that makes them all fall in one pothole, obligingly, because any one of them has been well-trained by the clerical regime. And I say anyone, because no one of them manifests the public necessary opposition which is due. No one except now the, arch, the aforementioned Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano. However, why, after the very same Emirio in his Iota Unum, and successively, repeatedly, the undersigned in his own books, pointed out that even the Neoterics remorselessly, shamelessly, and bluntly admitted it. See Father Skillebex, who writes, We express it in a diplomatic way, but after the Council we will draw the implicit conclusions. Why on earth, I ask, everybody still keeps refusing to face the facts and to stop accepting this conciliar maxi-snare of ambiguity? This is the fraudulent gimmick that the writer denounces since decades suggested by Cardinal Suenens to the alert, refined and great insight of the so-called good Pope John XXIII, who immediately put in, in practice since the formal opening of the council, conferring to it a merely pastoral nature, not at all a dogmatic one, as it should have been because of the presence of the Pope, on October 11, 1962, and the gimmick consists in never utilizing the dogmatic level of the magisterium, but always and only the pastoral level, in order not to be forced to pronounce an infallible teaching, which, natura sua, by his own nature, must be perfectly true and certain, and because of its divine indefectibility, doesn't allow any ambiguity, since ambiguity is a defect, not even an intentional one, thus it doesn't allow any interpretation either. The dogmatic level, the highest level of teaching, held only by the Pope, or by a council, but only if it is in union with the Pope, is the true and only catechon that can bridle the, the Antichrist. The catechon is the dogma. Take off the dogma, and you will unleash the Antichrist. And it is not even really necessary to take it off. The dogma. You need only hide it, as the shrewd French cardinal suggested to the placid Pope from Bergamo. Then pretend that it isn't there and use the pastoral level of the magisterium with daredevil imprudence, as if the pastoral level didn't entirely depend on the dogma, and hadn't the precise moral obligation to always be, as best as can, coherent and absolutely consequent to it, as it has always happened throughout the centuries in the life and therefore in the practice of the holy magisterium of the church. There it is. To unleash the Antichrist, you only need this de facto evaporation of the dogma, this not taking it into account, this shrewd forgetting, let's call it this way, which of course is completely immoral, sinful, and based on Machiavellianism applied to the word of God. A very simple and little rule, but a firm one. If, for example, the Pope called a council to which he denied any faculty to enunciate a locutio ex cathedra, e.g. by prescribing to it a magisterial level called pastoral, the definitions that the Pope would put forward in such a council would never run the risk, let's call it this way, of being infallibly true. That's what Cardinal Swinnens and Pope Roncalli wanted to achieve and indeed achieved. Never to be forced to pronounce infallible truths, 
but on the contrary, to be sure to be always allowed to say anything, perhaps even some heresies, provided that they are not noticed, but for this you need only wrap the language in a fog of ambiguity. Thank you, Skillabex. In any case, first, the Pope will never risk to be accused of formal heresy, that is, of the crime of heresy proper. Second, of the infallibility dogma, the dogma that guarantees exactly that will never be undermined. In order to know every detail about this maxi-snare, I invite the reader to peruse my Alitaco Cristo Vince, Charge, Christ Wins. That can also be ordered from the writer. It's published by Ore Domus Press. This perverse device is the engine, the pivot, the material cause and the efficient cause, the genius absconditus, the hidden demon of the abnormal and empty modernist building which the church has now turned herself into. It's the device without which, then, the church wouldn't be such a preagonal ruin as it is. Modernism wouldn't have succeeded in ousting truth from the highest throne, and the bride of Christ would be today more splendid, holy, and glorious than ever. However, in spite of this perverse device that the writer summarized in the formula, War of the Two Forms, talking about it and illustrating it in every language since more than ten years, nobody has ever opened a debate. Nobody has ever in any way at least taken it into account. Nobody has ever turned the head to at least look in the rearview mirror. Today, an archbishop is showing the courage to address the problem, a problem which had been narcotized by almost 60 years of shameful snares elaborated, first of all, by the highest pastors of the church, by those who held the highest responsibility. Today, Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano is not afraid to acknowledge that the Second Vatican Council must be canceled, both in its totality and in each one of its thousands of ambiguities which its advocates resorted to in order to surreptitiously introduce concepts that if the council had been opened at the due dogmatic level, not only would have been strongly rejected, but would have also explicitly and even more harshly been anathematized. Enough with the Roncalli Ratzinger-style maxi-snares. Let the Church come back to her role of unique polar star of divine salvation by adhering strongly and with absolute resolution to the firm clarity of dogma. Let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more is from the evil one. See Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. Signed, Enrico Maria Radeli.